Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. This episode is from the Rethinking My Life series, and it is called Learning to Think Like Jesus. Well, good morning again, everybody. We are uh, in week two of this new series of Learning to Think Like Jesus. And uh, one of the things I like to do is, uh, is think. I'm, I'm a thinker. Sometimes I think too much. Just ask my wife. Overthink things. But one of my favorite subjects to read about is, uh, is neuroscience. Now, I'm not a geek, okay? I, I uh, grew up playing sports. I still love sports. I'm more of a jock. But I, in my spare reading, I, uh, I like to read about the neuroscience because I am fascinated with how God wired our brains, how he made our brains. It just fascinates me. And if you're a little leery of, of uh, science, um, you've you got to understand that science and faith, are not, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, you know, the actual study of science is we're just trying to study truth, and there's only one truth, and that's God's truth. But if you think about it, there's, there's some science out there that takes a lot of faith to believe. So uh, when it comes to my Christian worldview, um, I, come, I come at science not so much to discover the how. I mean, you'll kind of find that out, but I'm, I'm more interested in the who than I am the how. And that who is our creator. Because when I, when I look at the who and how he created us, um, I, I am just, I'm just in awe. And think about that. It, it's when, normally, when we are in awe, we're observing things outside of us. When we observe God's creation, we observe a beautiful, we stop, we stop to, to observe a beautiful sunset. We're, we're in awe. I was... Uh, um, just a few uh, months ago, I took my family on vacation. We got to see the Grand Canyon and, and, uh, for the first time. And you can't, you can't go there and just not be in awe of your creator, that big hole in the ground. And uh, just last night, um, can't, can't sleep. So I go out to the front lawn with my dog, and I'm just looking up at the stars. And I'm in, I'm in awe of how small we are and how big God is. Well, I get the same sense of awe when I gaze into the human brain, I mean, all of our creator. And there are many examples I could give you, but I don't want to bore you. But one thing that you might be familiar with when it comes to uh, neuroscience as it collides with our faith um, is the power of prayer. Many studies have been done over the past uh, several years or decades about how prayer impacts our brain in a healthy way. One short study I just read just this past week I found very interesting, and it was a study done on brains of, uh, of those who are of the Judeo, Judeo-Christian faith and, and, and pray, and those of all other religions. And their brain scans were different. And here's why. Because when, when a Christian prays, we have, we have a relationship with God. And so the parts of our brain that have to do with communication and relationship, they light up when we pray. But other religions... It's not about a relationship. It's about checking off or make sure you're doing the right thing. And, and, it, and the same things don't develop and light up in the brain. And so there's a huge difference, a, dr- a dramatic difference between Christian prayer, 
those who have a relationship walk with Christ and those who don't. And so one of the reasons for that is that one of the reasons that Christian prayer is so effective is because our brains are constantly striving to have a relationship beyond itself. So it is not a stretch to say this. Our brains are wired to pray and to pray to our Creator. However, if I were to uh, ask you, if we took a poll this morning, if you are satisfied with your prayer life, many of you would say, no, it could be better. Because prayer is a struggle sometimes, isn't it? And so, even though it's a struggle to pray, you, uh, it shouldn't be uh, a surprise to you that uh, if we want to learn to think like Jesus, it begins with prayer. So there in your introduction, learning to think like Jesus begins with learning to pray like Jesus. You know, there in your notes, I have for you that first uh, passage is what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So I'll read it for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These words have been prayed and recited millions of times. And while Jesus never intended these words to be recited as a formula for prayer, they still, when, when we hear them, when we recite them, they bring forth emotion and focus on our relationship with God. They can bring comfort. They can bring healing and peace to our minds. And we're not going to walk through the entire prayer here, but in this prayer, there's a few principles that Jesus teaches us about um, about a prayer, and the first one is that prayer gives us the correct mindset mindset in following Jesus. So, number one, in learning learning to think like Jesus is learning to have a kingdom mindset. So, there at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Now, that word of that word kingdom. We don't usually like as Americans. Because us Americans, we like the word democracy more because we like to have a say in uh, what goes on in our culture and in our government. And we're not a part of no kingdom. We, uh, we don't want to be told what to do. We don't like to be told to wear a mask or to get a shot. There's a lot of things we don't, we don't like to do in our country. Uh, we don't like to be told to do. And so this idea of a kingdom mindset might strike some as something that you're not interested in. But I want to I want to break the news to you if you didn't already know. America is no different than any other country as far as God's concerned. Remember John 3:16, for God so love the world. It doesn't say America. For God so love the world. We're just another country in Iraq. We call planet Earth. And this rock and all who inhabit it, in one sense, God's already come. His kingdom has already come to this rock because there is order. There's order in this planet and in this universe. And if you rebel against the natural laws of this, of this earth and this universe, you're rebelling against God's kingdom. And there are 
consequences for rebelling against God's natural laws. For example, gravity. You want to rebel against gravity? Try jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You won't win. <laughs> You'll just end up as a grease spot on the, on the earth. And you will have challenged gravity, but you will not have changed gravity. God's law remains the same. I remember about uh, 10 years old, um, I challenged gr gravity because I thought that I could uh, jump from my second story bedroom window onto our front lawn. And I can, I could, I did. And I survived, and I didn't break anything, but I swear I am two inches shorter because, because I challenged gravity. You will not win. But here's the thing I want to remind you about God's kingdom. We are part of God's kingdom, but God is not a dictator. I mean, what dictator sacrifices his, his only son for his subjects? The Apostle Paul explains to us in Ephesians what it's like to be a part of God's kingdom. There in Ephesians 2.18, it says, for, though, for through him we have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and a member of his household. We are all part of God's family. And when you can grasp this, have this mindset that we, that you are a part of God's kingdom family, that you are loved, that you are valued by your king, when you can have that type of mindset, then it paves the way for some incredible outcomes in your life. So we're going to look at some outcomes uh, for having a, a mind like Christ. So this first one, uh, Jesus Thinking Outcomes, J-T-O. I thought of that all by myself. Do you like that? <laughs> this first one, a kingdom mindset will lead me to always seek to do my Father's will. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of uh, that phrase, if it's God's will. Um, it's kind of always bothered me. I think it's mostly because how people use it, because it's used a lot to explain why bad things happen. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's healthy. I had a, have a, had a, a friend this past week lose his two-year-old grandson unexpectedly. And I can guarantee you that uh, the phrase, it was God's will, has no comfort uh, for him. Why do we tie why do we tie bad things or disasters in our life to God's will? Why are, we always, why are we always bringing it up then? What about when the sun rises every morning? Isn't that God's will? The miracle of birth. You know, God bringing life into our world. Isn't that God's will? You know, COVID shut down a lot of things over this past year, but it did not shut down baby making. As I, we came back, and there's a few uh, surprises here. And I'm, I haven't done the research. Maybe you can, uh, if you get bored during my lesson, you can Google it. Um, but I'm, I'm betting that there's a spike during COVID of, of births. But when it comes to God's will, how can you know what it is? How can you know if you are in God's will? You know, what God's will is for you or this world your family, it's a question that people have been asking God ever since the beginning. And if you think about it, we overthink it. We make it too complicated. We get too hung up on it. 
And if you think about, and if you think that you will ever be able to totally comprehend God's will, you're mistaken, because Scripture tells us that His ways are higher, right? That, that His thoughts are much higher than ours. However, there are some aspects of God's will that we can know. I want to share just a couple with you before we move on. These are not in your notes. You have to get out your pen and, and write them down. And so the first aspect that Jesus teaches us about God's will is that God's will must be consumed. Okay? John 4, 34, there in your notes, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. So think of God's will for a moment as a dinner plate that your mama served you when you were a child. And on that plate, man, there's some things that you enjoy. And you will consume that. And there's some other things that are like, well, I can eat that. I mean, it's not my favorite, but I can eat it. And then there's some things that you got to plug your nose and swallow if you want dessert. Right? That's, that's kind of how God's will is. And, and your mama serves it to you because she wants you to have a well-balanced healthy meal, and for you to be healthy. Now, think about, think about the, uh, the story of Job. Remember, the, remember uh, Job? He, he lost everything, all of, all of his stuff, and all of his family, except for his wife. And at one point, God even says to Satan, yes, you can even touch Job. You can harm him. And so there's this scene in the book of Job where Job has been inflicted with this skin disease and, he's, and it's so bad he's sitting in a pile of ashes with broken pottery scraping himself. And his wife comes along and she is so disgusted by what she sees, she tells him, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> what a wonderful wife, right? <laughs> well, Right after this is one of, the, one of the wisest things that Job says in this, in this story. He says this, you foolish woman. That's not the wisest thing. That's not, that's not the wisest thing he said. There's, there's more to it, okay? He says this, you foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And again, it's another example of when it comes to God's will for our life, we, we consume everything that's served to us. Job teaches us. Jesus teaches us. All of God's will must be consumed. We don't get to cherry pick what we want. And so, first question I want you to consider, because I've got several I want you to consider this morning, is when you get a bitter serving of God's will served up to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to pour it out? I mean, if it's really, if it's really bitter, you're going to throw it back in God's face? What will you do? You can't cherry pick God's will for your life. All of it must be consumed because here's the second aspect of God's will. And again, this isn't in your notes. There is purpose behind God's will for your life. There's purpose in God's will for your life. You know, as of the end of last year, 2020, there was just over 7.8 billion people on this planet. And God has a purpose. He has a will for each one of us. But we, we learn from Scripture, we learn from Jesus, that that will must be sought out and worked on. And many people live outside of God's will because they don't seek it out, they don't seek Jesus 
They don't work on it. If you look back at that verse in John 4.34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of, of him who sent me. And then look how it finishes. And to finish his work. Key word there is God's work, not our own. That's what you and I were designed to do, to do God's work, to advance his kingdom, to work towards anything else. To work towards anything else is to, to, is to distort God's image in you. You see, you, you've got to understand something before we move any further in this series. Learning to think like Jesus. We're not telling you to go get the bracelet, the WWJD, because it's not about being more kind. That's not what this, this, these series of lessons is about. You see, having... And pursuing the mind of Christ will make you whole and more complete, especially, especially in the areas of your life that you work and serve to advance God's kingdom. And when you reject that, you're rejecting God's will for your, for your life. Listen to what Paul says. He reminds us kind of what the end game is for following Christ, and why we should keep this mindset. Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join me in imitating and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of, of, cro of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and, the glory, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So in other words, he's saying they consume Earthly things, they reject God's will and consume other things. They reject the plate that God has served them. But our citizenship is in heaven, he says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so as citizens of heaven, learning to think like Jesus, number two, we have to have an eternal perspective Revelations 1.8, Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now Jesus being all God, all eternal God, who is and who has always been, he has a little bit of advantage over us when it comes to keeping an eternal perspective. It is impossible for Jesus not to have an eternal perspective because he is eternal. And so the Hebrew writer gives us some, uh, some wisdom and how to keep that eternal perspective for ourselves. And, and, his, and his advice is to you keep focused on the eternal one. Keep focused on, on Christ. So Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on the eternal one, the Alpha and Omega, on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And then, and then he says, verse 3, think of all of the hostility he endured from sinful people. When you do that, then you will, won't become weary and give up. You'll be able to endure. 
Jesus was able to endure. He was able to consume. D- very difficult. The excruciating, painful will of God because of his eternal vision. And so, next question I want you to consider is what are you willing to endure for God's kingdom, for your Savior? What have you endured? If you're having trouble just enduring life in general right now and the thought of enduring anything else besides getting up every day and making it through, if that's where you're at, then maybe this morning you need to check your vision, your eternal vision. And we give you an opportunity to do that before we leave and close out every service. That's partially what communion's for, to remember our eternal Savior and the perspective that we are to have on life and our life with him. So I encourage you to write down some of these questions so you can check your vision this morning as we come in to communion. But your lack of vision, your lack of eternal vision, it will lead you to suffer more than God's will has planned for you. In fact, it will not only lead you to suffer more than you should, it will lead, it will lead to people around you suffering more than they should. So here's our second Jesus thinking outcome. An eternal perspective will give, him, will give me a willingness to sacrifice for God and others. In Mark 14, 36, we have this scene that Jesus is in the garden. This is before he goes to the cross and he's, he's just pouring out what seems like are drops of blood as he's just praying to his, to his heavenly father. And he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So Jesus, again, he is, he is presented with the cup of God's will. He doesn't like it. He sees that it's going to be painful. But his kingdom mindset, his, inter- his eternal perspective, enables him to trust God And drink from the cup and say, not my will, but yours be done. And he makes the greatest sacrifice the world has ever known. Paul reminds us of why we can sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the, bo- in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul says, we can endure, we can sacrifice so that others can have life in Christ. Learning to think like Jesus will not only help you see your pain, help you endure your pain, it will help you see the pain of others to the point to where you're willing to sacrifice to relieve some of their pain. So ask yourself this this morning, what are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of God, for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of others? so that they might have life. You know, many of us, we naturally will sacrifice
for those we love. I mean, I got no problem as a dad doing without so that my wife and my children can have. And it's, it's easier for us to do for those who are close to us. But what are you sacrificing for others outside of your immediate family for the benefit of God's kingdom? You know, I, 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 uh, I find it difficult to uh, share my own stories of sacrifice. I think it's, um, I don't want to toot my own horn. I, uh, and we could, look at, we could look at Scripture, because there are many examples in Scripture of uh, men and women, and not just in Scripture, but even in, in history uh, up until now, a lot of examples uh, throughout uh, history of people sacrificing for God's kingdom, for their love of Christ. And I just, I just want to remind you of your pastor's sacrifice this morning before we move on. And I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about Pastor Tony. Um, Tony's away visiting his, uh, his mom and dad. And, uh, and being away from family is just one of the things that uh, he sacrifices at a, as a pastor. You know, I think um, he's been pastor in Herod Adventure for 25 or more years. And in that time, he has sacrificed a lot and probably more than he needed to. But I don't know if you've noticed, he's a pretty smart guy. And he could have done a lot of things with his life. But he chose to serve God and to serve you in this manner. And I hope that you appreciate it. Let him know when he, when he gets back how much that you appreciate him. Because he has sacrificed a lot. You know, when it comes to the idea of sacrifice, I realize that some of you may not be in the mood for sacrifice. This past year, you felt like you've maybe sacrificed a lot. And if that's you, if you're just really struggling this morning and the thought of enduring anything else or sacrificing for others because you're just trying to get by, if that's you, God knows. He knows what, where you're at and what you need. And I, I want to read the little passage from uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians to encourage you. He says in uh, chapter 4, verse 16, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So if you are struggling today... Hold on to your faith. Hold on to Jesus. Keep the eternal perspective. Trust God's will for your life. Seek God's will for your life. It will make all the difference. However, there's one last aspect we need to know about uh, th learning to think like Jesus. That makes these first two possible. Number three, learning to think like Jesus is to think about God rightly. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, we're back to consuming. And understand this, it's impossible to know God's will or to keep an eternal perspective without consuming God's word. It's impossible. God's word feeds us. It feeds us what is right and true about him. The world wants to feed you a bunch of bull when it comes to God. The world wants to tell you that he's an angry God. 
that he's an unjust God. Otherwise, he wouldn't let all this awful stuff happen. But if we go back to Jesus, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, he, said, he, he teaches us what is true about God. Right in the opening line, our Father in heaven, that word Father is, is, the, is the word Abba, which means Daddy. And right there, he's teaching them that God wants a personal relationship with you. And throughout Jesus' teachings, throughout Scripture, he teaches us how to think rightly about our relationship with God. I want to give you one spiritual exercise I want to challenge you to do here over the next week or so that uh, um, will, will help you with your mindset and thinking rightly about God. So for, I, I want you to do this for at least the next month or at least the next week. But if you're really feeling froggy, do it for a month. And if you're really, really feeling froggy, do it for the rest of this series. But, that, but in your notes, I've got listed Psalms 23. And so in this passage, in this Psalms, there's a lot of truth that is taught to us about God. And so three times a day, I want to challenge you to consume Psalms 23. It'll only take a couple minutes. I mean, you can take 10. It takes less than a minute to read it. Take another minute or two to meditate on that truth during each meal, breakfast, lunch, and evening. See how it affects your mind and your relationship with God after one week. See how it affects your mind and your relationship with God after a month. You can't do this exercise without the Holy Spirit not affecting you. Because look, look at it. it. It begins with the Lord is my shepherd, telling us you know, what that relationship with God is, is like. God makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He restores my soul. Over and over again throughout this psalm, it teaches us what is true and right and just about God. I hope you take my challenge. Because again, learning to pray like Jesus is, learning, is the beginning of learning to think like Jesus. And learning to think like Jesus is learning to meditate on what is true about God. And you can expect some incredible outcomes when you learn to think like Jesus, least of which is this last one here in your notes. My correct thoughts about God will allow me to experience spiritual and mental growth. The Bible calls the renewing of our minds that leads to a mature love. So here in Ephesians 4, Paul lays out some expectations for following Christ. In fact, the entire Ephesians is expectations for following Christ. But here in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, No prolonged emphases among us. Please, will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy prey for predators. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love. Like Christ in everything, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in his love. So a couple more questions to write down and to consider here in a few moments. This first one is this. How healthy do you feel? How spiritually healthy do you feel? Have you grown up to this healthy state with your relationship with God? Second question is, how robust is your love? Because following Christ will grow that love. And over this past year, what's happened to your relationship with God? Has it gotten better or worse? What about your heart? Has it gotten calloused with all the junk we've had to put up with? 
Has your heart become hardened? If so, listen to this. Paul goes on in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in, their futi- in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understandings, alienated from the, like, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They've, they've given themselves up to their own will, not God's will. He goes on to say, put off that old self and put on the new life and clothes in Christ. So my final question before we take some time to come around the Lord's table, my final question for you is this. Are you ready to get to work? Because if, if, if you have made the commitment of following Christ, then Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I saved you. You're welcome, and then move on. We go down into the waters of baptism, dying to our old self, coming up in the new life of following Christ. Jesus has saved us, and then Jesus says, come follow me, because we got work to do. Hey, I'm going to need you to deny yourself, deny your will, okay? Take up your cross. There's going to be some things you've got to endure and sacrifice, and follow me. Because we have work to do. And so are you ready to get to work? Next week we're going to have a look at how that work begins inside us. Ultimately so that our work can, can extend beyond ourselves in advancing God's kingdom. We're just getting started in the series. Are you ready to get to work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the wisdom that we give, get, especially from the red letters in Scripture. The words of your Son are so precious to us. And Father, um, the, the distractions and the pains of this world can, uh, can lead us away from your will, can lead us away from heavenly thoughts and who we are as citizens of heaven and, and sons and daughters of, of your kingdom, of your family leads us away from that and we get caught up in our own will in, the, in these earthly kingdoms. And, and Father, I, I, my prayer is that, is that your church, the families, the marriages who are struggling will begin to, will begin to uh, come together with this like-mindedness of the mind of Christ. That we become people who serve you with this incredible love. The love that you so wonderfully demonstrated with the sacrifice in your, by, of your son and given us the greatest hope that we could ever imagine in his resurrection and his life because we know that we have life in and through him if we walk in ways that trust him. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.